Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. It is that lovely time of the week where we are starting uh, our series. We've been at it for a little while about the red words in your Bible. So that would be in any red letter edition Bible. You would see red words and those would be the words spoken by Jesus. And I thought, let's focus in on those red words for a while and get a number of guests that want to make contributions about passages uh, that are red words that that they're especially inspired by or they're animated by or they've taught on before and they want to teach again. And today is going to be no exception. Dennis Allen's my guest. Dennis is not only a chief executive officer in the business world, but he has served in leadership roles in the U.S., in Europe, and Asia. He's also author of a book, a lovely book, a great book called The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. Such an important topic. Dennis, so nice to have you back on. Hello, Bill. Thanks for having me back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I loved uh, your book, and I I loved the last conversation we had about the discipleship dilemma. Uh, I think it's an incredibly important topic, and I know you know that better than I. Well, I'm just grateful you'd let us have a chance to chat with folks, uh, maybe in a little extended format to unpack uh, some of the thinking so that maybe the leaders of the church will take a listen to this and uh, maybe give it a, a, a look, give it a thought. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk today about a passage that you want to discuss, which I love, and this is, passage comes from John chapter 6, and it's verse 66. So I want you to take take it over from there. Well, I pulled kind of a fast one on folks because it's supposed to be the red letter edition. And here I've got something that's not red letter, but I'll tell you how I'll get out of it in just a second. So <laughs> yeah. John six sixty six says, as a result of this, many of his, Jesus' disciples, many of his disciples withdrew and were not following him any more. And the escape clause that I'm building in is this non-red letter passage has bookends of red letters above it and below it that drive us right into the conversation about discipleship. Yeah, amen. And this is such an interesting passage, and I and I love it. So let's talk about the what is the story behind the story. You know, if you take it from a theological point of view, the, the interesting part of this story, to me, it's almost humorous, is as we back up just a little bit and start looking just a little earlier in John chapter 6, you, you could start pretty much any place you want in 6, but as you look, at, starting in verse 26, verse 41, you get these sections of Scripture where, where Jesus is saying, I'm the bread, I'm the bread, I'm the bread. And all the folks around them are going like, oh, come on, man, what are you telling me about this? Mm-hmm. And so we find some interesting grumbling, frustration about all this. And then Jesus leans in and starts with this passage in verse 52. I'm going to read this. So here we go, red letter. And this is the interesting part. This is a rarely preached passage in Dennis Allen's experience sitting in a lot of pews in a lot of churches over a lot of years. So listen to the words of Jesus and just think, how would this play on CNN? The Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, 
You have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Now, if you're not a believer, this comes across like either something out of Bram Stoker's Dracula or Stephen King. It just sounds really bizarre. But Jesus is hammering down on this amazing spot that says, if you're going to follow me, it means that you fully imbibe me as the bread of life. And just to wake you up, I'm going to say this in a way that really violates Jewish tradition, talking about blood and uncooked flesh. What a horrid explosion in their minds right now as they're reading this, right? And we're we're just up on the precipice here, Bill, to talk about how this drives the issue of discipleship. Mm, I love, I just love that. And when he gives that uh, verse and talks about eat my flesh and drink my blood, and then it takes us to verse 66, that many disciples turned their backs and no longer followed him. That was the end of the discussion for many. (laughs) <laughs> it's crazy when you stare at this. Yeah. And in fact, I think there's one other humorous point. Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? And that phrase, <laughs> difficult, if you think of the word difficult in the Greek, it unpacks in precisely the same way as a name in the Hebrew Old Testament in 1 Samuel. The name is a guy called Nabal, the guy who turned David down when David was seeking food and drink. The guy who was telling David, I don't know you from anybody. Get lost. Get out of here. And the word Nabal means churlish, difficult, obstinate, and absolutely offensive. Mm. So now we've got Jesus making this incredibly Nabal-like statement. And when the people who, it says, were many of his disciples heard this, they backed off. They weren't walking with him anymore. That's kind of our launch point, I think, for a conversation today. Yeah, because they they came to the point where they said, that's enough of this. And they, and they walked away. And, of course, then Jesus turned to the 12 and said, do you want to leave too? Uh, but I, I, I think the ones that turned around and left, I, th- I think, boy, they were in the presence of the Son of God, and they still walked away. Because I see it happening every day in this world today. It's amazing when people think, I'm supposed to be this kind of super evangelist, this magnificent apologist. I'm supposed to have the magic judo phrases and silver bullet logic (laughs) that just makes everybody jump up and go, oh my gosh, you completely overwhelm me with your logic. I want to be a believer. And here we're staring at people who came face to face with the most high God and walked away. Wow. You think about that and it is stunning. This is really an incredible passage for us, and it throws us, actually, over to Matthew 13 and Luke 8. They're the same story, Matthew 13, Luke 8, both talking about the parable of the seeds and the soil they're thrown down on. And here we begin this pivot into the conversation about leaders looking at the people who are their disciples in their Christian communities and what's going on behind this story. Why did these people withdraw and not walk anymore? This is the point I was really hoping we could press on a little bit today, Bill, which is it's not about whether or not they have encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, because they have. The question that we need to raise is, what have the leaders around these many disciples done to prepare people to walk 
alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm, so good. Dennis Allen is my guest. We are in our Red Word series, The Words of Jesus, and we're in John chapter 6. If you just joined us, and if you can open your Bible, that would be wonderful, but uh, we will read the passages for you. Dennis, what was going on with individual believers? What's going on with them and why? What we're seeing as we as we unpack the passages of Matthew 13 and Luke 8, it talks about the conditions of the soil, which Christ then says is, these are the, the hearts of the people around them. And we see some people who, like, they never checked in anyway. Like, you just toss the seed in a place where there's no hope that anything's ever going to go. These people had the ability to follow Jesus physically for a while, but they had absolutely no interest in going beyond just the, the fantasy moment, the entertainment moment that was going on. We then see some other disciples who picked it up and said, hey, this is kind of interesting, this is kind of cool. I'm in on this. And then the other stuff in life chokes it up. The birds of the field come in, they take away the seeds. These things begin to collapse. And then we have finally a model of one where the seed flourishes in the good soil. So the the dilemma that we've talked about before two times, Bill, you've been stuck listening to me and chatting with me on this, is the idea that disciples today are being treated in many ways as disciples in New Testament periods and post-New Testament periods, which is they were shown the Lord Jesus, they walked up to the Lord Jesus, but they had no coaching and development, which the Lord Jesus, which the Apostle Paul, which a number of people gave us and said, get ready. Here's what you need to be thinking about, looking at, and understanding as you prepare to come before the most high God. That's what I'd like for us to pick up on, kind of dissecting those people in our next chunk. Well, yeah, that would be great. So I think what I'll do is I will take a break just a minute early, and then we'll get back and we'll get into that chunk. I think that's a great idea. Dennis Allen is my guest, and we're in the red uh, words of Jesus, and we're in John chapter 6, but he has also written a great book called The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. We're certainly in a discipleship crisis, I believe, and I think he, Dennis, would agree. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back with uh, Dennis Allen in just a minute. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. Welcome to the show. My guest, Dennis Allen, has got quite an interesting resume. Um, I could read it, but it would take about 19 minutes. So I'm just going to send you to the DiscipleDilemma.com, the DiscipleDilemma.com. We're in our Red Word series and the words of Jesus. And today we're looking at John chapter six. So Dennis, let's uh, get into that chunk you promised. Great. Let's talk just a few moments about why these disciples in John six sixty six turned and walked away. Uh, We can't know for certain each and every story that's out there, but we can look back at some of these other contexts in Matthew 13, Luke 8, and so on, and say, we're seeing people who simply had no interest in or were unprepared for this conversation. But here's sort of three things we can anchor ourselves on. One, 
these people felt like what was being asked of them was obnoxious or it was too costly or it was not what I signed up for. I wanted to come to Jesus. I wanted Jesus to make me feel good and give me that eternal life deal. But this idea of being completely, totally surrendered, drinking blood, <laughs> eating mm -hmm. flesh, come on, guys, this is, this is not what I signed up for. I wanted a better deal than this, as if it was a negotiation. And we see these underdeveloped converts stepping away and saying, I'm going to fold my hand and walk out. I don't want to stay in for this. This is too difficult. We saw this in the New Testament as the Matthew 13 and Luke 8 passages describe the hearts of these people. But we can see this today. This is the interesting thing for me as we stare at, at John 6.66. We see the same problem emerging today. And the point that we're trying to roll over on here today is leaders, it's going to be up to you, up to us as leaders. We are responsible for changing the culture that helps people understand the fine print of what does it mean to be a disciple so that oh, they don't man. say, man, you ripped me off. Right. This is a bait and switch. I thought this was salvation. I didn't think there was a cost to this. Make sense? Oh, ton of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we as we step into this, the thing that really gets me amped up is is uh, originating, and we've talked about this on a couple of the other podcasts you and I have been on. The business world is struggling mightily today, and actually has for several decades, with the loyalty of employees. How do I get my employees to know who they are, what they're here to do, and why this is an incredibly important thing? Most businesses today struggle mightily with those people, and those people saying, I have no idea who I am, I have no idea why I'm here other than to get a paycheck, spend a little time with company A before they roll over and take off for company B. There's no loyalty, mm -hmm. a lot of switching, and there's really a loss of identity or purpose or meaning. So what we have is employees who don't know who they are. And interestingly, that process, the business people stole from the church because the church was trying to pack the pews with a lot of people who were hanging around for the big show. It might have been Constantine's big show of legitimate Christianity. It might have been the Romanist view of the big church. But we've all come in, but we don't know why we're here but we're hearing now suddenly stuff that's obnoxious to us. It's beginning to interfere with my own agenda, and I want out of here. I no longer need to be part of this game. And John 666 comes alive. These disciples no longer follow Jesus. Dennis, why do I have to get out of here? Why, why do I hear about these games? What does that mean? We have a problem that has gone back to the third century, but it's so prevalent today, Bill, and that is this. What I really need you to do is get saved. I just need you to get saved. If I can get you saved, everything's great. We'll get you into a church. You can get a little active in the church. We can have you do some things, and you can be a member, and we're fine. And Folks, this is not a criticism of churches, and it's not a criticism of pastors, but what it is is a critique or a scrimmage on the point that we are building spiritual orphans. We called them catch-and-release Christians in chapter 3 of our book, but the point was we're bringing you to the point of conversion, dropping you off on the roadside, handing you a Bible, and hoping everything works out okay. And when you begin to see the bigger details, you go, wait a minute, I thought I was getting saved. What's 
this stuff about being a bondservant? What's this stuff about death to self, taking up my cross, counting the cost? What is all this stuff? Little bait and switch. Well, so what? Where are we pointing fingers? Uh, is it a lack a lack of discipleship in the churches? Is it somebody saying you must feed me? Where does the Christian come along that says I I love being saved? I'm I'm going to go feed myself. I'm going to get into the Word. I'm going to get into Bible studies. I'm going to be in fellowship. I think it's a little like G.K. Chesterton's statement when the when the paper was asking London what's wrong with the world. He wrote in, "Dear sirs, I am." Right. The whole the whole issue here is that for about eighteen centuries, uh, we have followed a suboptimum, meaning pieces are missing from the construct of discipleship. And in fact, if we look at the Jewish traditions, we find that they too. We're inducing the same kind of problem. So here it is. We all think it's really important that we learn stuff in churches. We go to sermons. We go to seminars. We go to Bible studies. Maybe we have a small group. We try to learn things, and that's a, that's an important piece, and everybody agrees that's important. We go into worship and praise and mission trips, and we spend time in activities gathered in worship and in group experiences. Those are all really important parts of discipleship, but there are three essential components that we're arguing that drive this John 666 problem about disciples who are going, I didn't sign up for this, and here they are. First of all, what does it mean for a disciple to have a whole heart for Christ? What does that mean? Secondly, what does it mean to team up one-on-one, to have a wingman, to go out together in pairs as Jesus sent disciples out We don't do that in America today. We just simply don't do that Mm -hmm. in the broader context of the people who are there. So the challenges in front of us is leaders, we've been doing it this way for 18 centuries and we keep getting the same result. Do we need to try something different? It may not be your fault, but it's your responsibility to step in here. Mm -hmm. Dennis Allen is my guest. Dennis, how do you uh, have a whole heart? (laughs) Well, you know, it's an interesting passage, and it pops up over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament, where we hear about this idea of, probably the best way to say it is, um, what is your heart flooded with? You know, we think about our dear friends in Florida today who are just getting stormed by Mm -hmm. the the Hurricane Ian. uh, Storm surges are just washing in there, filling up homes, filling up cars, right? In this sense of a whole heart. We hear in the Old Testament over and over again with all the kings, they had a half heart, they had a full heart. But the context of it comes back to the ones with the whole heart were evacuating. They were rinsing out. They were purging the waters of the old ways out of their lives and their ballast, their center of gravity, their lean-in was now that which was the reflexes of God in their own heart. How do we do that? We do that by having this, this tremendous desire in, in our own personal lives to say, I have to evacuate my heart of the floodwaters and the stormwaters of the culture and the world and lean into Christ to build that muscle memory for Christ. And in that wholeheartedness, we then find ourselves face to face with the Lord God Almighty who is saying, now guess what? I have a job for you as my bondservant because you no longer have your own life. You have evacuated your life, and you are now my bondservant, my do loss. That's the whole heart concept. Mm-hmm. 
I like that. So when you uh, go back to John 6 and when Jesus uh, has some disciples turn back and no longer follow him, as we get to verse 67, Jesus says to the 12, do you not want to leave? You do not want to leave too, do you? I'm just wondering what kind of expressions on their faces they're having as some are leaving and he looks to the 12. Uh, because <laughs> the way in which he expresses this, of course, I don't have tone, but what? So you want to leave too? Are you guys leaving too? Almost sounds like <laughs> they might have been a little, uh, been dealing with a little shock of their own. Yeah, and think about the, I love where you're positioning this, because think about the words that have been echoing in their minds. Think think about this this phrase, Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Think about Jesus saying this five times over and over again in the New Testament. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. If you don't take up your cross and fall after me, you're not worthy of me. That's Matthew 10. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And that comes out of Luke 14. So here's the deal. I'm walking up to you and I'm saying, okay, Bill, I want you to give up everything that you've ever considered to be fun, interesting, and reasonable in your own life and become a slave to me. And by the way, it may cost you your life. And there's no guarantee this is going to work out well for you in the world. How motivated (laughs) are you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that'd be a tough one. And so now we've got the disciples standing here and Jesus is looking at them and saying, well, the rest of these folks read the fine print. What about you? Mm -hmm. And what I love is the answer they gave and the answer that they gave because their mentor, their discipler who had walked alongside each of them had said, get ready because these kind of questions are coming. And at that point, they said, my heart's evacuated. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but they said, Lord, we have no place else to go. There's nothing left in our lives except you. Now we're talking to a fully committed, wholehearted disciple. Mm-hmm. And Simon Peter, uh, Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We are just now beginning to get a sense of Peter, who, by the way, at this point, has not yet fully comprehended who Jesus is, but he does believe completely that there's no place else to go but with Jesus. This is the process of a disciple. And for leadership, we're asking you, please hear this point. This is the progressive journey of a disciple out of unbelief into the evaluation of who the Christ is, and then the full-in, full-orbed, wholehearted commitment, leaning in and saying, I've got no place else to go. There's no meaning or purpose Mm -hmm. anywhere else in life except in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is surrender. I love it. Dennis Allen is my guest. You can learn more about Dennis at thedisciplelemma.com, thedisciplelemma.com. If you heard anything today so far that you need clarification on or you have a question, the text line is always open, 877-933-2484. Take a short break and be right back with Dennis Allen in just a minute.
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I'm so glad to have Dennis Allen on the show today. He uh, was living his dream. He was an Air Force fighter uh, pilot. Um, then he also, uh, after the military, went into the business world and learned how to mentor and help struggling companies uh, turn around. And then he's been in uh, church discipleship uh, all over the world. And glad to have him on today. We're in our Red Word series, so the words of Jesus, and we're in John chapter 6. And Dennis, what do you say we talk about leadership a little bit? I mean, how does Christ's directive affect discipling leaders today? I love that question, Bill. Thanks for setting that up. If you, oh, yeah. If, you folk, if, if you're about to get out of your car, please hang with us for just a moment and listen to this. This is not your fault, but it is your responsibility now. If you are a small group leader, pastor, if you're a deacon, elder, if you are over the age of 15 as a Christian for more than a year, you are in the leadership seat. You have to help us talk about this problem. So the problem that we're facing today, when we see John 6:66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him, goes like this. Underdeveloped converts, that would be people coming to Christ, underdeveloped converts who are left to themselves, living in an unprepared environment, will find themselves picking up all kinds of flaky thinking, one being hey, this is too costly, not realizing where the real cost is and where the real benefit is, and stepping away and coming up with all sorts of strange and bizarre other ideas in discipleship. Leaders, we need you to re-engage the biblical model of discipleship, and it's missing in many cases for many churches. Not condemning a church, not condemning a pastor. We do not want pastors to think this is on them, shame, blame games, for them to fix everything. But what we want them to hear is this. One... You're doing a great job preaching and teaching. You're doing a great job gathering your people together in worship. You're doing a great job setting up programs, mission trips, ministries. That's fantastic. What's missing from the biblical model today and has been for 1,800 years is teams of disciples one-on-one and one-on-two who fully understand what it means to have a whole heart following Christ as a bond servant, not as some dude that just picked up some salvation, but the servant of the Most High God whose life is no longer their own. If people grasp those extra three components, we're getting back to the biblical model Jesus gave us. Without those, we're going to keep on cranking out very fragile, very brittle believers who just no longer follow Christ. Well, wow. All right. When you hear that I think I heard a research statistic that said 40, roughly 48% of pastors right now feel really burned out, and many are looking for a change and not a new church to pastor, but a new profession to be in. Yeah, that's uh, that's some traffic that we've seen on Barna recently, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, you know, Everywhere I go and talk to pastors, one of the things I notice is that about two out of three pastors are living life way out over the front end of their skis. Life's going really fast. Everybody in the church is expecting the pastor to fix it, solve it, show up for it, and be a part of it in every context and every arena. And it's really, really hard. And the, the, the point that we're trying to drive home today when we talk to leadership is it's time 
to rethink the model of being a leader versus a manager. Pastors, this is something you didn't get much help with in seminary. That's what we've seen when we've researched seminaries, and we don't want you to be burned out. We want you to have hope that in the discipling model Christ gave us, there is less load on you, the chance for you to be a real coach and a teacher, and the opportunity for your disciples to go make disciples who make disciples, and that's what Jesus was sending us out to do. Dennis, did you uh, feel like when you were growing up that evangelism and discipleship were in two different lanes? Wow, that that's a fascinating question. And I would say that the evangelism problem was the only problem that was presented to me in my younger years, junior high school, high school, even early college. It was like, get them saved. And then you go, what about the discipleship side of this? Mm-hmm. Well, You're a member of a church, right? Yeah. You're memorizing some Bible verses, right? Yeah. You have some kind of a mission or ministry, right? Yeah. Okay, you're good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, two two completely different lanes. And I think we've lost the fact, this is is a little tongue twister that we've used a few times to talk about, coming to Christ is the beginning of the entire journey of, it's not the end of the journey. In other words, it's the end of the beginning. When you become a believer, that's the end of the beginning. And now the fuller, lifelong journey begins where you have to continue to develop in your own knowledge, but also walking alongside others out in the world, in the academies, in the arts, in the business community, Mm -hmm. in civics and government, in the media. How are you gifted and equipped? What is your purpose and calling in Christ? Well, part of it is your spiritual role to be able to give an answer when people raise that. But secondly, and I think equally importantly, Christ has gifted you with certain things, whether you are a plumber, a proctologist, or a politician. Maybe not the politicians, but anyway, yeah, we think all <laughs> these guys should have. Mm-hmm. That's a joke. That's a joke. But But when we think about this, We are all called as disciples in our giftings, and in those giftings, we are called to develop our own answers for the reasons, for the hope that we have, and to make disciples out of the other people around us. Not as evangelists. Not as evangelists. Some of us are evangelists. Not all of us are. That's that's Galatians. But all of us are to have an answer for the reason, for the hope that's within us. So people will begin to say, I want to follow you and meet this guy, Jesus, you're talking about. Yeah. Dennis Allen, uh, let me ask you this. How do you come to salvation? (laughs) Well, of course, there are some folks that would go back in time and start talking about uh, the ideas of uh, the Reformation, but let's, let's, let's nub it down to this point. Okay. The encounter with the living Christ who has called you and raised you up from the dead. You aren't sick. You aren't floating out in the ocean looking for a life raft. You are dead. That's the New Testament. You are at war with God. When you are raised up on the operating table and God says to you, live, your natural reaction is going to be this. You're going to say, my Lord and my God, and you're going to fall at his feet and you're going to worship and if, if you get that, if you get the fact that the work of Christ on the cross plus nothing else raised you up on that slab as a dead person who was at the bottom of the ocean and resurrected you and gave you life in Christ, now we're beginning to talk about the journey forward. 
as a disciple of the Most High God. All right. Then if I had that experience where God raised me up and he is my Lord, and my next step would be what? For a lot of the culture, it was simply, you're done, check out. That's not fair. It's not biblical. Mm -hmm. What Jesus has told us all to do is now you start putting yourself to death. You are crucifying your own agenda. You are denying yourself because you are now recognizing that you're completely bankrupt. You have no hope of paying your way out of this. You belong to Christ at this point. And that's the next step in the process of a disciple. And so for leaders, going back to this leadership question that we were teeing up at the beginning of this segment, it is time for us to reset the environment that our people are rising up in so that they understand what does it mean to count the cost, death to self, and begin this lifelong journey with another or one or two others where we are actually going into life, into our communities, into our workplaces, and talking to other people about the hope of the resurrection that lives within us. Mm-hmm. Well, when I placed my faith in Christ at age 12, I I knew that I wanted my decision to be mine. I, I wasn't going to just be on the, the, the coattails of my family who attended church. I wanted myself to take my faith and place it in Jesus, and I did. And I can say, Dennis, I probably didn't know the cost of that decision at the time, but I was all in right from the beginning. We've got to take advantage of those moments where people have this enthusiasm like you were describing. Mm -hmm. So many people were brought to Christ, handed a Bible, and then they were just left vaporized into their lives with no idea. You had this enthusiasm and apparently people alongside you saying, We're going on this journey. What we're missing so much today in modern Christianity, and it goes back many centuries, but this is so prevalent today, is we don't have wingmen. We don't have relationships. Mm -hmm. We don't have older brothers ahead of us, older sisters ahead of us, wingmen beside us, and some people following behind us going, Bill, tell me about life around that next corner that you've already gone around. That's the community of Christ, but it is not going to happen in groups of a thousand, it's going to happen in groups of ones and twos. That's where this developmental discipleship, so good for that enthusiasm you had as you came to Christ, yeah. comes to life. So, Dennis, who do we tap on the shoulder? Do we tap on the, the the older men and women who can become mentors, who need to be motivated to have a mentee? The model in the New Testament is Jesus walking up to people and saying, you, come with me. However, we also see another model, which is like the eunuch talking to Philip saying, hey, what's this all about? Explain this stuff to me. Mm -hmm. So it cuts both ways in our culture. But in American society, we're the lone wolf, need nothing from nobody. So what we do (laughs) is we sit in our pew, go to church, check off the square, go home. We have to reach out to one another. And pastors, leaders, deacons, elders, small group leaders, Start pairing your people up. It won't work well for a lot because a lot of people won't want to do this. But if you want the full experience of discipleship, team up, pair up, walk into life together with one another. That's great encouragement. And I haven't heard that said very often. We 
we've we've given up the duty of the bond servant because we don't like to think of ourselves as a bond servant. We like to think of ourselves as a customer. I did a deal with Jesus. I negotiated my eternal life with Jesus, and I'm a pretty nice guy. I go to church. I want all this, but that's not the fine print. The fine print is you're surrendering your life wholly and completely to Christ, and now you have to team up, pair up, work up with other people going into the messiness of life to encounter other people who you can come and invite to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, amen. Dennis, when you uh, became a follower of Jesus, did you know the price that was to be paid that you would have to do? No clue. Okay. I had no clue. I was inert for the first eight years of my life as a believer. Okay. And why do you think that? Why do you think that happened that way? Because we were really busy trying to get people saved. If we could get them saved, all the rest of this stuff could be handled another day. And that's a classic corporate failure point. That's a classic Christian failure point, which is we'll handle those people later. If we don't find ways to come alongside one another. We are giving these people an orphan's bequeathal to move off into the world and hope everything works out for them. That's not the model Jesus gave us. Mm -hmm. Dennis Allen is my guest. We're going to take a little break. We come back, continue talking about our Red Word series. We're in John chapter 6, in verse 66. It's a great, uh, powerful passage. If you have your Bible open, I highly recommend during the break reading it again. uh, You can start really in about uh, verse 61 And read down to verse 69. We'll take a short break and be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. for joining me today. I hope your day has been good. I've been thinking about you all day. I wonder if you're going to tune in and here you are and you picked a good hour to listen. If you missed any of this, I go to, I recommend going to the podcast, myfaithradio.com. Check out the Afternoon with Bill show page and there will be the full interview if you missed any of it because Dennis Allen has been my guest this hour and we're in the red words of Jesus. So if Jesus said it, we want to talk about it and we're in John chapter 6. And the words that Dennis picked are actually not red words, but all the red words are around it. So we're giving Dennis a pass on this. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, as we look at John uh, six sixty six, Dennis. What what does this mean practically? You know, inside the church here, um, not only in the church but outside of it. One of the challenges that we have to face is that the trends around the people of Christ are not good. And if we don't think about how the trends are taking us today, how we have basically six out of 10 millennials walking out of the church as nuns, I'm done with my church, or as duns, I'm completely done with my faith, or 
uh, in this nuns and duns arena, stepping out and never coming back, or we have a highly um, centralized view that the pastors and the staffs of these churches are here to serve us. We check the kids into Sunday school. We listen to the service. Then we're done. We're good. We go home. Maybe we've got a small group. That's great. But the statistics and the trends today are telling us that there's very little spiritual life with eight out of 10 people in the pews. There's very little interest, think nine out of 10 people in the pews, to talk about their faith to anyone else because either A, they simply don't know how or B, they're unwilling. And as, as people who may not be willing to talk about their faith, people who are scared to talk about their faith, what mm-hmm. we are facing is underdeveloped disciples. This is where the leadership of the Christian church has got to step back and say, what is it that makes up the difference between the biblical model of Christ's discipleship and the discipling that we're teaching today in our churches? That's not intended to be an accusation. It's intended to be a scrimmage. What's the difference, and what do I need to do as a leader to change that game? Mm-hmm. Well, what is the answer? <laughs> well, a lot of people write us and say, I want the recipe. Yeah, and I, um, I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, okay, there's here's three steps. If you'll take care of this, everything will be fine on Monday, and that's not the way it's going to go. This is a change in the sea state of a Christian community. Said another way, this is a culture change. Said another way, this is a change in the DNA, the way that the muscle memory and the fabric of a church behaves and thinks and acts in the arena of discipleship. We do a great job in churches today of hosting these ministries, having this wonderful worship, having these great pastors do a great job teaching the Word of God, and all that is so very important. Our prayer group's wonderful, right? The fellowship that we have in communities is terrific, but here's what we're missing. We are missing that deep one-on-one that Jesus taught and modeled. We are missing what does it really mean to be a bondservant as opposed to simply a member of a church. To change that, to make that different, to get away from this John 6.66 because of all this stuff, these disciples no longer follow Jesus. To get away from all that stuff, leaders have to be willing to say, I'm going to line up the way our church thinks, behaves, and acts toward the biblical model of discipleship first. Everything else fits underneath that. That's the preeminent piece, to go, Matthew 28, 18, to go make disciples. That is the mission, the co-mission that Jesus gave us as a church and as individuals for every single human being that we are around. Mm -hmm. Dennis, how do you think the enemy is uh, attacking this situation, going after us? Well, one of the big ways that they uh, the, the, the attack happens, especially for the church staff, and church staff knows this all too well, is you are loaded down being a manager. You've got budgets. You've got these performance metrics to hit. How many baptisms do we have? How many new members do we have? How many mission trips did we take? And the management of the organization is distracting you from the mission of the organization. And the mission of the organization is to go make disciples. This is a huge burden on pastors that we, all the rest of us out here, have thrown on our pastors. We have got to liberate them so they can be our offensive line coaches, calling the plays for us to build that discipleship richer and deeper in our church. So let me turn the corner, Bill, and and I'll throw this out, and then you can help me uh, unpack it a little bit. We've got 
to start, even if it means with one or two, and let the rest of the church just move forward. We've got to start building discipling teams of wholehearted bond servants and let them multiply. They will quickly overcome the numbers of the other people in the church, those who don't want to come along. That's okay. They're in the church. That's fine. They're members of the church. That's great. But we've got to start, leaders, with building these teams, building out these teams, and sending them out to go and make disciples. That's the core change that we've got to make. The sermons are great. The mission trips are great. But they're missing this point about the doulos, the bond servant, with a whole heart commitment, teamed up with others, going into the world. Mm-hmm. All right, Dennis, I like that. But how does that happen, and, and how, does, how is it walked out? How do you do it? You know, this is the important piece of the puzzle to listen to. I, I do turnarounds with corporations, and every corporation that's in trouble, when I sit down with their management teams, the first thing they say is, what's the recipe? How do we fix this? Give us the plan. And the reality is every single church is different. It's in a different geographic location. It has different kinds of people with different kinds of talents. Maybe we all want to go to Minneapolis, but some of us are starting out in Chicago, some of us in L.A., and some of us are over in Atlanta. Those are all journeys to Minneapolis, but they're very different journeys. So this is going to require that you start taking a true view, a shrewd view, counting the cost, as Christ would talk about in the New Testament, of what it is you're about to build, the campaign you're about to go on, with the people that you have so that you can use their given talents and the ones who are motivated and want to come with you to start this discipling journey. When it begins, when this begins with those unique talents and those unique individuals, you will begin this discipleship journey that will rapidly build and grow a church. If you try to go with a canned recipe, a program, a seminar, or a sermon, all you're going to get is probably two to 20 weeks of interest, and then it's going to fade. The biblical model is what we have to chase. And leaders, the last half of our book talks about this long process of planning it out and implementing it. But that's the important part, leaders. You're going to have to take the long journey. This isn't a microwave pizza. This is a long haul change. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be relationships that are going to be formed, and it's not going to be the result of a sermon or a program. It's going to be uh, two men coming together to be wingmen for each other or two women coming together to st- start to be more effective in their in their discipleship with each other and then more effective in the world. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, some places, like if your church is in Silicon Valley and you've got all the software geniuses in the world around there, maybe you want to build the next eHarmony and call it e-discipleship and you learn how to pair up really terrific disciples. But for most of us, We need leaders to say, I think here are two logical candidates to work together. Some of those will work, some of them won't. But we've got to start the journey of putting these people together and saying, do you understand who you are in Christ? Do you understand how to give a reason for the hope that's in you? Do you understand how to employ your skills in your workplace or your community or however you're paired up? Sometimes sports pair up, sometimes work pair up, so on and so forth. But are we pairing these people up? Leaders, that's where you begin to liberate your life as a pastor and that's where you begin to employ the biblical model of discipleship, teaming up bond servants to go out into the world. Mm-hmm. Dennis, what is slowing this idea down? Is, is there apathy that's causing problems? What do you think is slowing it down? Most of us in the church don't like change. Most of us in the church fear 
what would happen if we start putting words like eat my flesh and drink my blood plainly in front of a lot of other people, and we could wreck our organization, and my goodness, we don't want to wreck our organization. There's a lot of personal fear. I don't want to blow up a company that I work with, right? Mm -hmm. A pastor doesn't want to blow up a church that he's pastoring. But at the end of the day, these things become the inhibitors that keep us from running the fuller race for Christ. We're not here to grow churches. That's God's job. God said, I will build the church. You go make disciples. Mm, that's so good. Been a really interesting uh, hour, Dennis. And I, when I got this um, indication or this uh, message from you that you wanted to talk about John 6, 66, I thought, I know that passage. I don't know, what, I don't know where you're going to go with this one, but it's been a really interesting hour. So thank you so much for taking time with us today to be on the show. Bill, delight to be with you. Thanks yeah. for your ministry. Yeah, thank you so much. Dennis Allen has been my guest. If you missed any of this, I, I think you're going to want to hear this from the beginning. You can go to myfaithradio.com and check it out. Uh, you can learn more about Dennis at thedisciplelemma.com. That's thedisciplelemma.com. Thank you uh, so much for being with me today. It's always really nice um, to know you're listening and to know that you care and that you're hearing things that I pray are helping you build up your faith and giving you the strength to go out and be disciples uh, with one another in a world that's hurting and broken and we need you. So thank you so much for uh, listening today and for supporting Faith Radio. I hope you have a wonderful night. Tomorrow's show is going to be great. Todd Mulliken is going to join me. We're going to uh, talk to him um, about a counseling um, issue that is uh, going to be of high importance. I've got a... Um, a promo that you're going to be excited to hear, and then also guy talk. So get your questions ready. That's all coming up tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.